0: Hi, I'm Mary C. Curtis, and this is Equal Time. No one could question Michael Steele's Republican credentials. Under his one term as chair of the Republican National Committee, from 2009 to 2011, the party broke fundraising efforts and presided over a record pickup of congressional seats in Washington and in statehouses across the country. Today, Steele finds himself on the outs with his Republican Party, tagged an anti-Trumper, and as he's refused to endorse the lie that the former president won last November. While he has condemned elected officials for endorsing that lie and downplaying the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, Steele has not abandoned what he says are the true principles of the party he is trying to reclaim. Welcome to Equal Time, Michael.
1: It's such a pleasure to be with you.
0: What's up, yeah. Mary? Wow, well, it's good to talk with you again—a reunion of sorts for yes. the Black Catholics from Maryland. There you go, uh, Michael and Mary Cecilia. Uh, well, my parents were Lincoln Republicans, Charles Mack Mathias, Ed Brooke Republicans, and uh, even in the 1980s, they were feeling a bit betrayed by some of the party's messaging when it came to African-Americans, the so-called Southern strategy of playing on white fears to win white votes. So if there ever was a question, there isn't anymore. And I've heard you talk about this, that a faction of the party, of your GOP, is morally bankrupt and overly racist, Uh, particularly racist in the sense of going for these voter suppression tactics. Why have you stuck with the party?
1: Well, you know, I, I have a number of analogies that I use uh, to sort of, I, I guess, explain uh, to folks, but maybe in, maybe to rationalize for myself <laughs> why, why I still, you know, stay stuck on stupid uh, with these folks. Um, you know, I think a lot of it for me, I, I joined the party at, at a time when it wasn't popular, it wasn't fun, it wasn't easy. Um, You know, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and it it just was just not a part of our political ethos. Um, And uh, a lot of the, you know, the efforts made by the party, by some elements of the party, going back to the 1964 campaign of Barry Goldwater, where he outwardly rejected civil rights um, to Lincoln, to Lincoln, to um, Nixon's uh, Southern strategy that began in 68. I will at least put into effect in sixty eight. Um, you know, knowing all of that, uh, I, I always hew to the to the core of the party of why those many women um, in Ripon, Wisconsin, decided to break away from uh, the Whigs uh, over civil rights, over individual liberties, and the and the rights of of every citizen uh, in the United States led to a great civil war. And on the other side of that. Um, those same stalwarts uh, fought for my community. In fact, it is the political home for African-Americans. It was then for almost 100 years. It isn't today um, for good reason. So, I, you know, I, I kind of, that's why I call myself a Lincoln Republican. Um, I, I still believe in those, those values and those principles, not just about, oh, you know, you're pro-life or you're pro-family. It's deeper than that, um, as it should be for any, anyone who's a Democrat. You know, that, that, you know, you should have some connection to those roots. Um, so I guess in one sense, I rationalize it, you know, like I'm a Motel 6 Republican now, you know, someone's got to keep the lights on. Yeah, some someone's got to articulate uh, what those principles and those values mean. You know, when we talk about constitutional norms, when we talk about liberty, when we talk about um, the rule of law and uh, the sanctity of our Constitution, um, those things should still matter. And they don't for a lot of the folks that are now in leadership inside the party, which we saw play out with the handling of Liz Cheney. Someone who stayed true to that to that constitutional idea of truth, to not give in to a big lie and to not, uh, you know, tell the American people that something happened that didn't happen. Um, and she paid a price for it. And I, I think you've got to have folks who are willing to stand up against that at least for as long as you can. And that's what I try to do.
0: Were you, were you a voice in the wilderness? I mean, were... They obviously weren't listening to you when they were talking about welfare cheats and all of those things that became party mantra long before the last four years.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, they're you know both parties have that stain on them. You know, it, it, we we you know, and it's not about you know. I don't like to play the what aboutism game because that's just childish and stupid. Um, I acknowledge our sins and our faults, uh, but I also. Uh, acknowledge that um, from, you know, on policy, certain policy prescriptions and certain value value sets, um, you know, we do try to strive for something greater. We once projected ourselves or at least tried to be a big tent. You know, my predecessors at the RNC, Ken Melman, Ed Gillespie, And others worked very hard uh, in that space. Um, When I was chairman, I declared the Southern strategy was officially over and done with. We would not go back. We would not hold on to that legacy because it was an anathema to what we uh, stood for and what we believed. Um, And unfortunately, I lost that fight. Uh, I got fired. (laughs) Um, And that's fine. Okay. Um, Look, I've never said this was easy. I've never said that it was perfect um but you know it is right now at least um there are a number of republicans like myself who feel that we we need to purge ourselves of all of that and we need to do better and be better um because we can and our history has been there um before you know when we stood on the side of civil rights when we stood on the side of, of, you know, uh, good common sense and, and, you know, principles that, you know, animated how we looked at things like budgeting and, and, and uh, education and other, other, other issues. So look, I know it's not perfect. Um, you know, give me someplace else to go. Okay. That's <laughs> better. Uh, then we can talk. Well,
0: actually, actually, Michael, according to research, uh, Edison and AP, uh, President Trump did make small gains with black men. With they had some uh, economic promises, some disinformation, and uh, yeah, that you know that plan, yeah. yeah. (laughs) How? Well, how did that happen? Do you think?
1: Well, it's easy. You know, you, you do. You know, that's what that's why you have focus groups and 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 polling. You figure out what what tickles people's fancy. And, and that's what you play to. That's what Trump has done from the very beginning, which is why he's got such a, a rabid base of support. He continues to play to that that fear and anxiety about folks like you and me um, who are quickly uh, growing in in the majority in the country. Um, you know, notice how white folks talk about it—like they're losing something. They don't see—they don't see a changing in you know the growth of you know Hispanics and you know Black and Brown people, um, Asians in the country—is a good thing. They see like they're losing something.
0: Yeah, zero sum. Yeah, a zero sum. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we're not, not going to uh, be
1: better. Oh, really? Well, all the cultural appropriation you've done for the last four hundred years seems to be okay with you. <laughs> So there must be something about what we bring to the table that you like. Yeah, um,
0: I tell you, or your food, your culture. A lot of the. I, I was just looking. I saw a report on the, an Asian American woman uh, was the the impetus behind this new electric truck. You know, it's like yes. all of the technology and. Uh, and you but, know her
1: story. Her story yeah. is this: where well, she came here as an eight-year-old with yeah. her parents, uh, did not speak English at all. Um, And eight years in the and So now, you know, 32 years, I think she's in her early 40s. So 30 years later, you know, she she's now rolling out today a, you know, a change in in our economy. She's changing the way um, we drive, um, what we drive um, and and and. I don't think you can sit back and go, well, you know, we needed to keep her out of the country.
0: <laughs> well, you know, now, a month later, after all the refusal to accept the election and, of course, the January 6th insurrection, where you had Confederate flag-carrying rioters whose behavior is now being dismissed uh, and not wanting to be studied by some Republicans, do you think it's even possible to appeal to particularly Black voters after making even these small inroads? Because now— Look what has happened since.
1: Uh, how do you, I, I don't know. And I mean, how would
0: you How would you do that? Give me your, me. I'm not, I'm give not me your gonna, best
1: argument. I'm not, no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> going to try to appeal. I'm not going to try to appeal to my community on behalf of the Republican Party, because we have to be honest about what we've done and what we've said up to this point. I cannot look an African-American in the face and say, this is a good place for you when they actively and continually pursue efforts to disenfranchise their vote. Number one, and we haven 't even gotten into shithole countries we haven 't gotten into um, uh, you know their re, uh, response to Black Lives Matter, the death of George floyd, Charlottesville. Shall I go on? <laughs> now, my point is, how do you then come back around on the other side and, and think you 're going to persuade someone by saying, "Well, you know what unemployment in your community is the lowest it 's ever been." Or we got a great platinum plan for you. Yeah. Why is it called a platinum plan? Oh, oh OK, because that, that is that's what you think how we will respond to something that's labeled platinum because that's great bling. I mean, what, what the hell is a platinum plan? I mean, so it, it you know, it's just it, it for me, it just it just speaks of cynicism, and i know this firsthand from inside the party there is a an ongoing resistance to it there's a lot of lip service a lot of outreach and and dinners and handing out you know crazy awards to people you know to think oh yeah if I, we if we give you know, Jane Black over here in the ward, you know, Black folks are going to like that we honored one of their own. I mean, it's like when I became chairman, someone came up to me after I got elected chairman and said, oh, I'm so excited. You're now chairman of the party. That means Blacks will join the party. And I looked at it and said, what do you think I'm a Pied Piper? You think Black folks are going to wake up the day after my election as chairman? Go? Oh, they elected a Black man chairman. Let me go join the GOP. They don't want to put in the work.
0: That's underestimating the agency of Black folks. It's the same way when people say you want to be on the Democrat plantation. I'm like, way to get somebody to come to your party by by using a slave analogy.
1: Right. So, (laughs) both, and you just illustrate both parties struggle with this this space. Um, And you have to strip away the political red and blue republican democrat and it gets <laughs> i've been saying this for 20 years now it still boils down to black and white
0: well the thing with it is is anybody our equal time listeners and we do have people of all parties some of the republicans was, would say wow you're just making an argument why you're not a republican in fact they call you a rhino republican in Which name is only well, they tell did. me why. What's your response? Because,
1: no, they've not walked in my shoes. I've been a Republican since 1976. A lot of these numb nuts who are just showing up, you know, been in a party, haven't, haven't raised any money, haven't worked a poll, haven't had doors closed in their face, haven't had to carry the water for other stupid stuff Republicans say, right, in, in, in a black community or other minority community. Um, don't give me this your Republican in name. Oh, the only Republican in name only is Donald Trump. Donald Trump changed his party affiliation five times before he settled on being a Republican. In fact, he was Republican once before left, came back. I mean, come on, seriously. He's the leader
0: of your party now.
1: And that's because a whole lot of ignorant folks want him to be, and he shouldn't be. And there's, there's no demands, not conservative. He's not Republican. He doesn't care about the things that that George Bush Senior 40, 43, um, uh, Eisenhower, Reagan, any Nixon even, I mean Nixon at least, despite you know some of the some of the the cynicism around his southern strategy to to win national elections, st- you know still put in place the EPA affirmative action, you know he still put out policy positions that tried to advance. Um, both the country and individual communities, to some degree, um, it wasn't a platinum plan.
0: Well, know. his his Justice Department did go after Donald Trump for housing segregation. I will hello give that. <laughs> so, for keeping black people out of his apartments. Right. That was well, true. It's, it's, I, so. I always say when the Nixon Justice Department goes after you, you must be really doing something. <laughs> <that>, so.
1: <laughs> well, and, you know, so that's that's one piece. The other piece is. You know, um you don't get to define what kind of Republican I am we all we all wear the same hat. I may wear it differently than you do, but we wear the same hat. I've never questioned it questioned anyone's um you know republicanism. I may challenge you know, well, you know, the party doesn't believe that uh you know Putin is a good guy and and we we've, we've never adhered to you know we see russia as as the enemy that it is, all right uh, we don't support. Um, or at least we didn't support you know, trade wars and, and, and things like that. Um, so you can have that discussion, but that's not questioning your, your, you know, the thing that, that drew you to the party. I, you weren't there with me in 1976 when I made that decision. So how dare you question what journey I've been on and all the crap I've had to take uh, inside this part, inside the party. I'm going to talk about folks outside the party mm-hmm. giving me, I expect that.
0: Why it's did you make that decision? Party. Why did you make that decision? Martin? Because
1: this was the, this is, like I said before, this was our political home as a young man. I, my mom said to me, don't be a Democrat. Cause I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Don't be a, don't be a follower, be a leader, decide for yourself. Um, look at both parties um, and make the decision. So I did. I was in high school. I went off and I I, I learned the history of both parties I looked up and I saw that the Democrats had, you know, a former member of the K- uh, KKK in, in the Senate <laughs> in, in Byrd. I'm like, OK, well, that that's not a place I necessarily want to be, you know. And I looked at the history of of this party relative to uh, the struggle of African-Americans during and after Reconstruction, uh, for example, um, and, and looked at the, the first black leaders, political leaders in this country were Republican men uh, and women who emerged um, knowing that, you know, someone like a Frederick Douglass was an advisor to Lincoln and, and had access to the president and the white house. So it said to me, that this was kind of our home. This is where our roots yeah. are.
0: Although after at 76, that was after the time where, of course, Lyndon Johnson had said signing all the civil rights bills, they were going to lose, uh, you know, the South and to, to Republicans for generations, which did turn out to be true.
1: Well, and that, and that's what the whole Southern strategy was about. Yeah, yeah. The whole Southern so, strategy was. So to you remember. chose
0: the party after that.
1: You yeah, I chose the party after that, but it wasn't. I mean, I didn't. I still had. I had problems then, and I still have problems now with the 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 Great Society uh, policies. Oh, okay. I mean, I see yeah. the impact that it's had on our community um, in mm-hmm. in so many ways. Yes, there's some good, but there's a hell of a lot of. A bad. It's like the war on drugs. It's all of these little programs that, you know, look innocuous when you put them on paper and propose them. But then you have to look at the practical impact. And by 76, you could begin to see some of some of those yeah. results. Um, and so from a policy standpoint, from a political standpoint, certainly from a philosophical standpoint, um, uh, it, it, it appealed to me. And it, and it wasn't just because of while as, as much as I liked Ronald Reagan, admired Ronald Reagan, um, you know, he was not my Pope John Paul. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I love and,
0: your Catholic references. <laughs> and, and, and
1: so, so it's it's not it. You know, I admired the man. Um and, you know, I serve, I serve on the advisory board at Eureka College, uh, where he went to school. So I, I, I appreciate that affinity, but I also know he was a flawed man. I know, also know how he used race, um, mm-hmm. as politicians in his day did. Um, and, and so, but at the same time, um, there has to be some philosophical grounding, some, some, some belief system or ideal that you adhere to. Um, And for me, you know, this idea of the individual's liberties, that's why I define myself as a Lincoln Republican, not a Reagan Republican, not a Bush Republican, but a Lincoln Republican, because I believe very much in the individual liberties and rights. It really kind of touches on that sort of libertarian nature of the GOP. That's Mm -hmm. always been that streak that's run through the GOP. The problem is we've not been consistent in applying that streak. Um, Mm -hmm. So we, we, you know, we will... Talk about, um, you know, the choices you get to make to educate your kids um, and, 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 you know, all of that in that space. But we won't talk about other choices that you should be allowed to make. Um, and we don't recognize. So there's an inconsistency there um, for sure. But the idea for me that, you know, to be philosophically more to your individual liberties and rights that above all else, that should be protected. Yeah. Above all else, that's what this country, what defines this country, um, separate and apart from others, uh, to me is is something at least the party once stood for very clearly.
0: You're not alone. I'm, I'm just saying that um, there are, I saw that op-ed you wrote in the Washington Post with four others. And so these are folks that you you're calling for a call for American renewal yeah. And um it argues that it's it's a national rallying cry against these extremist elements. I think what before I interrupt that you were going to talk about yep. and there's an urgent need for a new common sense coalition, but I do see that, you know, um they were all former former leaders. You know that that pen that object. Yeah, that's what that's does, the sad what does part. that say? What does that say? Well,
1: you've got, but you do have you have current leaders too. You've got Mitt Romney, uh, Adam Kinzinger, you've got Liz Cheney, you've got others um, who um, are still in and are trying to stand their ground. Part of what we're trying to do is to reinforce for them that they have friends out here. You have people uh, who are willing to stand with them um, and and to help them. Um, as much as possible, and support their efforts. Uh, you know, the goal is is not just to put, you know to reaffirm th- those philosophies that that we uh, admire and adhere to, but the goal is also to raise up and and put forward candidates um, who represent and reflect those ideals as well, um, who appreciate and stand with. Um, uh, you know those constitutional norms as well as the other um, you know pieces that that make up this this great this great uh, country of ours um, and, and so when you're looking at voting when you're looking at uh, uh, participation by citizens um, you know and exercising exercising their constitutional uh, rights you um, We want folks to know that those things still matter and that no one its become a trite term and it's so sad that it has, but it's true. No one is above the law. No one gets special privilege. No one is better than anyone else. Your right to access the ballot box living in a white suburban community is the same as mine living in a black com- a black suburban community. Because some white folks don't think we live in uh, suburbia, but <laughs> we do. I'm right um, here.
0: I'm right here in, in Charlotte, <laughs> North Carolina, in a neighborhood that had restricted covenants. So I couldn't have lived here, which is some of the things they don't want to teach you about history. But that's another um, story. I do want to say, you know, Maya Angelou said when people show you. Who, who they are, believe them the first time. Correct. And Trump, everybody knew what Trump was. They knew it twenty twenty, but they knew it in twenty sixteen. So, Michael, your call for an American renewal. Why not in 2016? Is this a little too late? No,
1: it's not. I mean, a lot of us did in 2016. It's, I didn't support Donald Trump in 2016. I was I was, uh, time out. You know, warning, Will Robinson, danger, danger. Um, yeah, a lot of us, uh, I mean, a lot of Republicans who are now sycophants of fans Donald Trump called him out. I mean, that to me is the more galling thing. Is that how does a Marco Rubio and a Ted Cruz and, oh, my God, Lindsey Graham, don't get me started, um, you know, who saw this man and knew him for what he was suddenly now are sitting there by his uh, at his knee, you know, like little lap dogs you know, waiting for for the next instruction to go fetch. I, I don't I don't I, I don't get that. I mean, it's not it's not that, you know, the Michael Steeles and the Joe Scarborough's or anyone else who may have called out Trump back in the day. It's it's the folks who did and now have flipped the script and make now make you know make us look like we're the ones who were crazy and wrong. I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> no, we, we actually were right, and and so giving into the wrongness of Trump does not does not you know mitigate um, uh, against those who who try to try to uh, to change the course of things. Oh, and besides. It didn't seem to matter because he won. So yeah. a, lot, a lot, 66 million Americans voted for him, and they weren't all Republicans. Oh, so, yeah. you know, it's just we need to understand we can continue to look at this in the, in the political box through a political window and put it in a political box and, and try to solve it that way. My point has been it's bigger than politics, and we need to understand that. Uh, And 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 you're not going to solve this just by, you know, oh, now let's fix the Republican Party. Um, You know, seven million more Americans voted for Trump in 2020 than 2016 they weren't all Republicans.
0: What does that say? Because <laughs> there
1: are not that many. I mean, yeah. just as a percentage. We're, we well, what does, that say, what does that say, Michael? What does that say about our
0: country and about our democracy? What does and that that's say? What
1: we, that's, that's the discussion we need to have. It says that we have now, we have lost faith or starting to lose faith in those democratic norms and principles and ideas. We're starting to lose faith in the leadership that we elect. We're starting to lose faith uh, which again, by the way, uh, is an extension of us. Uh, so that means we're probably losing faith in ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. We're starting to lose faith in uh, those, th- you know, those things that that knitted this country together over 400 years, uh, despite its its um, its original sin of of, of slavery and racism. Um, it no longer wants to struggle against that. It's giving into it. Um, and, and so I think that's part of the examination we need to participate in as well. We can, you know, we can talk about Donald Trump to the cows come home, but when you, when your mother and your father, your uncle Joe and your, your cousin James, or you yourself, uh, still embrace the, the big lie or still, uh, you know, believe or want to see him reemerge in politics in some fashion, you know, that's you, that's you, that's your community. That's, that's, you know, it's an important example where we have to be honest. Let me give you an example what I'm talking about. When I ran for the U.S. Senate in 2006, um, I wanted to understand better what what voters were thinking so I I asked for them to put in the polling two questions the first was would you vote for an african american for the us senate and the second was would you vote would your neighbor vote for an african american for the us senate the results came back 78% of of, of voters said that they would vote for an african american for us senate 43% said their neighbors would where do you live baby <laughs> so we have to understand, you know, you know, we may not be as enlightened and as open and as, you know, um, you know woke, I guess, uh, whatever the term is, as we may think we are, because we still are surrounded by and surround ourselves by those that we connect with in some way. And that we agree with in some way. It's like what they say about church, right? Uh, look around in church on Sunday. You know, you out here preaching inclusion and all this other yeah. stuff, but you ain't you ain't got that. You ain't got an inclusion in the church you attend. Yeah, on Martin
0: Luther King Jr. says most segregated hour, right? The most segregated um, hour. That's right. Yeah. Now I want to. Uh, you had talked about Lindsey Graham. Now he says the party is nothing without Trump. Uh, you and some others have lie. written have written that you know, uh, the future is a party without him. That, that would be, you know, but so... That's the sound of talk, someone who's been abused. Talk, talk about it a little bit. What's the future of a party, a so Trump-led party, morally, uh, uh, electorally? and w- And what's the future of one without him?
1: The ignorance of that statement belies the history of the party. So you're saying that we were nothing before Trump showed up? And we will be nothing afterwards that's the, that's the sound of someone who's in an abusive relationship oh my God the Sun the moon and the stars revolve around this person I am nothing without him are her the polls the polls aren't telling you anything the polls the polls are not a reflection of where this party sits you can again if if you ask someone who's in that relationship Are they in a bad spot? What are they going to tell you? No. Everyone else around you is saying, you've got family members going, hey, John, no, man, you got to get out of that relationship. No, John, that's not a good thing for you. But John thinks it's okay. So if you're polling John, John's going to say, I'm good. If you're polling the people around John, they're going to say, Nah, John's got some problems.
0: But you yourself said so many more voted for him. You observed, voted for Trump. The second time. So you can see where people would say, we got to keep this dude close to us. He's helping us raise money. Yeah. Uh, You know. uh, That's true.
1: But again, I don't think Democrats said that who voted for Trump in in 2020. I don't think they were saying, oh, we got to get, you know, keep him so he can raise money for the GOP. I think you've got to also look at what's interesting about 2020 is how the Democrats messaged near the end of that campaign they let the whole police narrative get away from them. And they were upside down with voters because they had hotheads out there screaming, defund the police, et cetera. Scared a lot of voters off, um, certainly independent voters. Um, now, it, not to the point where a majority went back to Trump or moved towards Trump, but enough uh, to to reflect, you know, uh, the closeness at the congressional level, how how Republicans I mean what did Republicans run on in 2020 to win congressional seats? They didn't run on a po- what was the policy? <laughs> oh, white women, black people are coming to suburbia. Protect yourselves. Black folks <laughs> unemployment's the lowest it's ever been. <laughs> That's the message, right? So what there, there were other things that animated the conversation that moved voters in the last in the 11th hour in that in that campaign.
0: So you do think the future is for a party, for your party, the one that you still belong to. It's without Trump. To,
1: it's, it's, it's absolutely without Trump. You do not win with Donald Trump as your standard bearer. You just don't.
0: Well, what um, happens with Donald Trump as a standard you lose. bearer?
1: You will lose.
0: You morally, will lose. morally, electorally, both.
1: All, all of it. You lose all around. You, you become, I mean, we've already seen it. We've already lost so much. Um, and, you know, everyone's banking on, oh, well, you know, there's tradition and, you know, midterm elections, the president in power loses seats and all this other stuff. And the House number is five seats and it's close and we're going to win it. And Kevin McCarthy is going to be the majority leader and all that. Well, first off, Donald Trump is going to turn on Kevin McCarthy like like a, a hat trick. It's just not even going to, It's not even it's he's crazy to believe that at that point, if that should happen, that there won't be a challenge to his authority there. Secondly, and more importantly, you can't discount how the rest of the country and how others look at what's going on um, and and think that this is going to be a static response, that everyone's going to fall back into uh, their level of participation that they've, that they've had before. So, you know, 2020 was an aberration. I think 2020 was the beginning of, um, of a sea change. The assault on voting rights at the, at the state legislative level, the, the assault on, um, on, uh, you know, the, the American people with respect to what happened on January 6th, The continual selling of lies to the American people. Um, I don't know how you think folks are going to go, Okay, let's go back to that. I just don't. Maybe they do. Maybe we are stuck in in an abusive relationship politically. And, you know, we just we want to go back to to that because it's good for revenue if you're in the media. Uh, It's good for for clicks and for tweets. If you're on Twitter, Um, maybe maybe we really are nothing more than a reality TV society.
0: But you're betting we're better than that?
1: I'm betting we're better, better than that. It's not a hope. Mm. I'm betting that we're better than that.
0: Mm. Um, Michael, I always ask this. But what question have I not asked you that I should have? Because you really have something to say <laughs> think, on the you topic. You think I'm
1: going to volunteer that? <laughs>
0: yes, yes. Because you have not held back. What is it you want to say? Something I haven't asked you that you want to say? Because you really feel deeply about it.
1: Um, I, I think what I would say is I'm tired. I don't know about you all, but I'm tired. I'm tired of this, this idea. And, and it really kind of goes to your last question i'm tired of this idea that we somehow cannot be better and that we somehow can't do better and I, I you know for me i think it's i think it's important to recognize that our strength rests in the three most important words in our founding documents and that's we the people and that we have more control over outcomes than we than we realize and we need to get our head in the game And, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not asking people to like me or dislike me, agree with me or disagree with me. I'm asking people to use their common sense. I'm asking people to to recognize what's happened to our country and that, you know, the grass is not greener elsewhere. It's very green here (laughs) where we are. And we need to better appreciate that. Um, and we we need to, you know, restake our claim in this experiment we call America. It is flawed, it is frothy, it is uh, wildly crazy, it is, you know, pockmarked by, you know, centuries of segregation and racism and fears and all of those things, but it also has running through it a thread um, that that binds us um, and that has helped us as as we've seen in the past to to overcome and to try to do better. Um, and you know, we don't have a Dr. King or a Malcolm X or you know a, a Mahatma Gandhi. Um, walking our streets today. Um, and that in one sense is a good thing because it puts the pressure and the onus on us individually. We each in our own way have to become, uh, representatives of that value, those values. So that, I mean, that's probably, um, a little bit deeper than, than, you know, political conversations tend to go, but, um, for me it, it I hope it gives you some insight to what animates me um, because I try to absent those those men and women who who you know took took the water hose and the dog bites who um, you know suffered through the lashes, the red lining um, the the poor educational opportunities. Um, still found a way uh, to realize something better and to try to achieve something better. Uh, And I learned that from my mother a long time ago, Uh, sharecropper's Mm -hmm. daughter working on a tobacco farm uh, since she was five years old, um, working in a laundromat for 43 years. um, Once she turned 18 Um, and Having to raise a child through segregation, um, white only signs in Washington, D.C., and yet instilling enough faith in this country that her son could could do and be better. And we all need to walk that. We can't give in to to what we see happening. We can't give in to January 6th. We can't give in to. Uh, Big big lies or small lies about who we are. So there no, we are, Michael.
0: I, I, well, when you said that, I was very touched because you know, my role models are my parents. Uh, my father had an eighth grade education. Um, my mother went back to college when me, the youngest of five, got finished school and had a career as a teacher, raised five kids. My oldest brother went to law school, he was a judge. Yeah. Um, you know, and when you were talking about everybody contributing. I don't know that people realize all of those stories that make up America. And my yeah. three eldest, my three eldest siblings were involved in the civil rights movement. I had a brother was arrested twice in sit-ins. I was a toddler. My my mom they got the deed to the house uh, to try to get him out of jail, but actually Juanita Jackson Mitchell did, um, uh-huh. the civil rights lawyer. And there are all those stories, um, which is I do think history is so important. If do we really sit and appreciate your mom? And my parents. do right. we do that? That's America, But that's not what we're talking about right now, politically. So yeah. when you got deep, I, I'm sorry, I got a little misty there. You take care.
1: I look forward to coming back on and, um, you know, continuing the conversation. Maybe next time we can start at the deep end of the pool.
0: So what's keeping me up at night? The fight for civil rights in the courts, at the polls, in America. My three older siblings were active in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And when I was a little girl, I observed the meetings, absorbed their lessons, and years later realized just how important and sometimes dangerous the work was. When my brother Tony was arrested twice in sit-ins, it came very close to home. Now, when the Biden Justice Department is taking its name seriously, Unbelievably, there are those who don't quite approve of its mission or some of the people, the people of color, the administration has chosen to lead the way. I write about it in my roll call column this week. Check it out. One Equal Time listener told me of the changes in her life in the last year and how at first she was looking forward to a 2020 full of reinvention. And then the pandemic hit. Now she's learning to trust, as she said, that, quote, I don't control it all, and I'm seeing it as an opportunity. I'm sure many Equal Time listeners can relate. Let me know what's on your mind by tweeting me at mcurtisnc3. And thank you for listening to Equal Time. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.